0: Welcome back to the Dealmakers podcast show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising, and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal show. So today we have a really exciting episode ahead of us. You know, we're going to be talking with this amazing founder. We're going to be talking about accessing medical services, racing around in 2022, all the craziness that was going on and and what a different world that we're in now, Uh, the lessons you know, on what needed to happen and what was important there to raise the money that they did, and then also building what it is, a fully remote team. Again, amazing, inspiring journey in front of us here today. Without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Tai Wang. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Alejandro. Glad to be here.
0: So originally born in the U.S. to immigrant parents, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say I I lived a uh, pretty kind of normal immigrant uh, 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 upbringing in that my parents moved here uh, 20, 30 years ago with uh, no education and made a life for themselves and and for me. And, And it was Definitely inspiring, and and what uh, ultimately led me to being an entrepreneur, I believe.
0: So you grew up in a in a in Colorado and in blue collar family. So what 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 pushed you into into wanting to become an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, um, I I think one of the really uh, incredible things with uh with with this country that we're in and the opportunities that there that there are here is that uh, my parents were entrepreneurs themselves, but out of necessity, um, they weren't able to find work, uh, especially in the 2000s, and uh, ended up having to start uh, their own companies to really provide for, for um, themselves and for our family. And I think uh, uh, through seeing seeing them do that, uh, I've always really wanted to um, uh, start my own company. And, and now uh, with the education that, that they've been able to provide me, um, I've, I'm now able to be in just a single generation, be an entrepreneur by choice rather than out of necessity.
0: So, what about engineering? What uh, caught your eye on engineering? Because that's ultimately what uh, what you studied and 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 really what got you going. So, why engineering?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, growing up, I've always been someone that tinkered with uh, things that uh, loved computers and and um, learning how. Things were built and uh, actually ended up getting a scholarship through the federal government that uh, was a full ride um, with the uh, condition that I went into an engineering field. So I ended up studying electrical and systems engineering um, at Washington University in St. Louis.
0: So after the studies, you had to uh, go back to government. And you were there for quite a bit. I believe it was something like seven years where you were doing all types of stuff and then also traveling quite a little bit around the Middle East and in South Asia. So what was that experience like and what kind of world it you gave you from seeing other parts of the world as well?
1: Yeah, that was an incredible experience for me. And I uh, actually so so as part of this scholarship program, I. Interned uh, at various government agencies over the summers, and then um, after graduating, I worked for the federal government full time for uh, several years. Uh, there, uh, as you mentioned, I got to travel travel the world to a lot of very unique places, and and that was an incredibly eye opening experience. Just seeing kind of how uh, other people lived, experiencing different cultures, and and really, I would say, uh, learning how to communicate with all kinds of um of of people from different walks of life uh, uh so yeah it was it was for sure a very eye opening experience for me
0: so so at what point do you realize that uh, maybe working for government is not your thing that uh, maybe there's a different world a world of business outside
1: yeah yeah so after uh and and i I love my time um there and I think I, it was an incredible opportunity and a, and a great uh a uh, launch pad for kind of my career. Um uh but I, I think uh after being in it for for so long, uh the the government is a huge organization. There's a lot of red tape when it comes to um really just uh just uh getting things done when when that's all uh I think anyone wants to do. Um and I had been uh approached a couple times and and active and I had many friends that also uh, moved from kind of their their uh, government jobs into these various tech companies, so that's that's really where I think uh, uh, that's really when uh, I decided that I wanted to kind of make a make a move and and see what else was out there. So then let's talk about
0: what else was out there. You know, what did you what did you look at and and how do you eventually land in Palantir?
1: Yeah, so uh, I had uh been reached out to by quite a few recruiters for for various companies um both uh primarily actually in tech and and also in consulting um uh, which is not a not an uncommon thing to happen particularly um in the field that I was in within the federal government and uh I had several friends that had actually um, moved over to Palantir um right around the same time um heard really great things about it uh visited their office interviewed um, and I think all around the the environment especially the the entrepreneurial culture that they uh, really um, try to try to foster there um, resonated with me and and ended up deciding to make that leap uh, after meeting a lot of the a lot of the individuals there and the people that I would be working with
0: so let's talk about, uh, you know, because in Palantir, you were there for about a year. So, um, you know, I would say, I, I, I'm sure that you kind of like saw the whole craziness in the venture world, you know, and 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 how amazing, you know, how fast-paced, you know, this world is. You know I'm sure that you eventually got the buck and you were like, my God, I feel like I want to do it, you know, myself. So what was that moment like, you know, when you were like, hey, you know, I think that maybe it's time to give the notice here and, and, and take a stab at it my, myself.
1: Yeah. Um, actually remember, remember that, um, moment or kind of the lead up to that fairly clearly. And, and I was actually, uh, uh, during that time I was listening to a lot of podcasts including yours, including this podcast here, um, and just getting very inspirational stories from a lot of founders. I think, uh, uh, that really, I think, um, uh, Palantir really hires people that that I would say are very entrepreneurial, that are that that um have kind of uh, or or get that kind of bug, especially once they get exposed to a world like this. Um, and I think the really um the the major kind of trigger point there was uh was getting into YC into Y Combinator um after kind of throwing around a few ideas, but um uh the experience at palantir really kind of drove uh our decision to ultimately leave palantir and and start angle health and and part of that was really seeing a lot of the different uh kinds of companies that uh really being exposed to how many of these massive organizations operated um seeing a lot of kind of similarities when it came to my uh government job um and then uh really seeing i i think a lot of the issues when it comes to being able to modernize and adopt kind of new technologies to bring about um uh uh a much i would say like a much more efficient much more integrated way of of operating especially when it came to very very core um, and important services for for people uh, and for families, like the one that I grew up in, and that was especially true in healthcare. And healthcare is, uh, uh, if you're familiar with Palantir, one of Palantir's largest verticals.
0: So, so tell us about Y Combinator as you were uh, referring to earlier. You know, Y Combinator, one of the best, if not the best, uh, startup accelerator program. I mean, it's tougher to get into Y Combinator than getting into Harvard, which is unbelievable. But uh, how was the you know, before and after, you know, what did you guys enter Y Combinator with when you were going in with Angle Health? And then what was the Angle Health that you came out with, you know, from the experience at Y Combinator?
1: Yeah. Y Combinator was an incredible experience for us. Um, as first time founders, uh, we really didn't know what we were doing um, at the time. Uh, I think uh one of the 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 couple of biggest values that yc provides are are the network are essentially kind of training you to 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 be a founder through the experiences of all of um these other founders and 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 partners uh most of whom are former founders as well uh and and really exposing you and educating you on the whole kind of fundraising and venture capital uh uh ecosystem which is something that i never had any experience in before, um, so uh, uh, I think I think going into YC, we were we we were really just kind of uh, uh, two friends with an idea, uh, with with a lot of kind of uh, challenges and problems we saw with with some of these uh, legacy industries and 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 these legacy companies, uh, and coming out really. Having uh, a strong sense of what it takes to actually build a highly disruptive company, which I think many YC companies are, um, and uh, and also very importantly, how to how to raise the capital that's needed in order to build a company like that, particularly a company like uh, ours, like Angle Health, which is uh, highly regulated and 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 it is fairly capital intensive when compared to most other startups.
0: So in, for the people that are listening to Get It, what ended up being the business model of Angle Health? How do you guys make money?
1: Yeah, so uh, so we do a variety of things, but essentially what Angle Health is, is a one-stop healthcare benefits solution for employers where we're making it faster and easier and more affordable for employers to purchase health insurance for their employees um, and for their employees to access healthcare benefits. So our, our products... Themselves are comprehensive um, ACA and ERISA compliant group health insurance plans. Uh, that's health insurance purchased by employers and covering their employees, which is the vast majority of health insurance in the U.S. Um, so, uh, uh, so we provide much more than just the insurance product itself, but we actually operate a fully licensed health insurance carrier, as well as um, uh, a couple other uh, uh, entities and, and a third-party administrator that provides. Uh, essentially, this, all of the services that sit around kind of your healthcare benefits.
0: So you were alluding to this earlier, which is basically the regulatedness of uh, building a company like this. I mean, when you are uh, ultimately building a startup, you know, especially a startup like this, you have two things. I mean, you have two uncertainties: one, the one of building a company from nothing, and then two is building in a very uh, highly regulated uh, market. So, how has it been being able to blend both of those uncertainties, and uh, how did you guys, you know, come across, you know, the challenges that uh, that you've experienced so far?
1: Yeah, so I think this is one where maybe our background has helped us. So, so my co-founder Anurban, also worked for the federal government as a machine learning engineer for um, several years before uh, joining Palantir as well. But, um, uh. Having operated and and at Palantir where we had a lot of government customers uh, that we have worked closely with, uh, I think it it really taught us how to kind of navigate navigate these various government organizations and 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 operate in in environments that have a very high level of regulation compliance um, uh, and and overall kind of uh, regulatory risk so uh, so so I, I think our experience there really helped us kind of uh, navigate all of this and, and and be comfortable in kind of operating in 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 this sort of environment the biggest challenge when it comes to building a company in a regulated space uh, especially early on is is that it it becomes uh, there's a long lead time when it comes to actually being able to go live with the product because especially if it's a company or a product that requires uh, licensing um, regulatory approvals things like that uh so so it does require a decent amount of capital up front to be able to go through that process um, or those processes and then and then actually be able to launch a product there um i think the the it's definitely not for everyone. I think the, uh, uh, the important piece there is really, uh, being able to do it. I mean, I think one thing that 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 really spoke to, uh, uh, kind of our story and 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 to many of our investors is that we were able to to go through these processes fairly capital efficiently. So when compared to many of the Gen One insure techs that um raised uh pre- raised more capital than we have pre-launched than we've raised uh in the entire existence of our company um and took uh 1 to 2 plus years to go live uh we actually got licensed in uh in about 6 months from the time that we decided to enter our first market and went live within a year um with uh, uh a fraction of the capital that many of these kind of first generation insurtechs uh uh, needed to to get to the same point.
0: Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C, all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So talk to us, too, about being capital intensive. I mean, you guys have raised quite some money, you know, about $63 million. How has it been the experience and the journey of raising money as well for you guys?
1: yeah so uh for us the the capital intensity comes in the form of um, essentially regulatory capital requirements from uh, from from our regulators so similar to uh because because like a core piece of our business is actually providing health insurance uh, we're providing that that uh, is a regulated financial service um, similar to a bank where we actually are required to maintain uh, uh, capital, ma- maintain certain amounts of capital on our balance sheet to assume the risk that we're assuming. Um, so uh, uh, when it comes to fundraising for that, that that's obviously not kind of a, a traditional use of venture capital, nor nor I, would I say is a very... Um, uh, efficient or or good use of venture capital in that, uh, uh venture capital is, a, or equ- equity capital is a very expensive form of capital for what will essentially just sit on your, for capital that will just sit on your balance sheet. Um, uh, so there are other, there are other tools for that. Um, but getting started, um, uh, we did raise and many of these, uh, most of these insured techs, uh, that have formed over the past 10 years or so have raised venture capital to address that, uh, to address that concern. Uh, I would say the challenge with that is really in, in, I think the performance and, 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 in kind of what, uh, uh, people were chasing prior to, I would say, kind of like the 2021, 2020 timeframe where, um, not, not just in insurtech, but, but, across tech um in general capital was very freely available um everyone was chasing essentially chasing kind of like top line revenue numbers um whereas in a business like ours and and especially in the time that we were fundraising um uh this was one of the time where many of these kind of gen one insurtechs had gone public uh people saw how they performed in the public markets Um, and realize, oh, this is a business that where the underlying business fundamentals um, matter a lot. And that's really uh, uh, what we needed to focus on and and focus on building a very kind of sustainable business, even at a very small scale, um, uh, when it comes to uh, what is actually important for the business itself. And I think now, uh, over the past couple of years, we've really moved into an era where that's that's also true of, of uh of any company where um the unit economics are extremely important, where the where uh, today capital is is fairly constrained and uh uh survival kind of being being that default alive is, is what matters in, in kind of today's market.
0: Can you talk to us about the, that comment on default alive? Because this is something from Paul Graham from uh, Y Combinator, and something that is uh, very much present on the world that we're living in today for startups. So c- could you expand on that?
1: Yeah. So so the idea of being kind of default dead or default alive is really I don't really I, I don't think that I should really explain. It. I think I think I think I should direct people to uh, Paul Graham's blog posts specifically about it. I don't want to take like any credit for this, but it's really about about um uh as a company, uh are you uh if if you just continued operating the company as it is today, um, are you default dead in that you will uh eventually run out of money? Or are you building a company where you're default alive where you uh maybe are not profitable today, but but by continuing to operate the way that you are and 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 growing in the way that you are, you will be default alive and that you will uh uh with or uh ideally without additional capital, um, uh be able to hit a point of break even or or have the option to be profitable.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an amazing um shift that we have experienced in the market because, you know, going from the growth above everything else to now profitability, right? Now now that's what people are really um Appreciating, uh, I I I think that 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 statement, you know, and 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 that essay from Paul Grammys is, is a real good one for for the people that are listening to read and, and amazing, you no, know, that that comment that you mentioned in that regard. I think that one one aspect that is very interesting about your guys' operation with Angle Health is that everyone is fully remote. So, how have you guys gone about building a fully remote team, and and tell us about this?
1: Yeah, so uh, we. We started the company uh, right as the pandemic was getting started. We went through YC, uh, uh, we, we finished YC in March of 2020. So so when everything shut down and uh, that's when we raised our first round. Uh, so we've, yeah, so we've really built the company through, uh, through the pandemic and as a result uh, have built a fully remote company. Um, I would say building culture is one of the hardest things when you have a a fully remote company like that, where, um, uh, actually, I mean, for the, our, many of our employees met, uh, uh, someone else at the company for the first time, uh, uh, just a few months ago when we had a, our first kind of full company offsite. I think the, the, the most important pieces when it comes to building a remote first company is continuing to build kind of a sense of culture and and having consistent touch points across the company when it comes to um, employees just meeting each other and one one of the things that I always try to um, uh, note especially when we have new employees joining at our all hands is to reach out to uh, to employees to to others especially people that you don't work with on a day-to- day basis just to get to know them just to uh, just to learn, just have a random coffee chat um, there's actually there 's actually a few slack apps too that essentially facilitate this for you um, I think what 's also really important when it comes to uh, working in a really in a fully remote company is um, uh, and when it comes to communicating effectively is is having good documentation and uh, having strong kind of guidance on. Uh, how to communicate on what tools are used for for what and and um, uh and and also when it comes to kind of uh resources for the team and and who to reach out to for a given issue and i i know I know a lot of these things are actually and we've we faced this a lot uh through the kind of growth of our company uh, uh a lot of these things don't exist at at smaller startups but i think um even even for 10 20 30 person companies these are still extremely important if you're fully remote
0: so imagine you were to go to sleep tonight Type, and you wake up in a world where the vision of angle health is fully realized what does that world look like
1: yeah i think uh i think that world looks like <laughs> maybe this is a this is a little lofty but that that world looks like a uh one where where preventable diseases are a thing of the past where things like um like diabetes and and hypertension and 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 many of the chronic diseases that uh of the most prevalent chronic diseases that exist in in our world today um are actually not prevalent or are extremely rare because we've done a, such a good job of preventing these kinds of diseases in the first place, um, and really that comes down to uh, being able to build a system that uh, focuses on things like preventative health that increases access to the, the the programs and services that deliver this level of preventative health. And really, uh, we we built Angle out of our own frustrations with the healthcare system here, and I bet uh, I bet you and, and everyone that has that is listening to this um, has had some story around uh, whether it's themselves or a family member or a friend dealing with some some negative experience with health care. Um, and for me personally, I, I grew up in a working class immigrant family. My parents worked multiple service jobs. They couldn't afford to um, do things like take time off work to go to in-person doctor's appointments or take care of their own health while providing for our family. Um, and, and they also want multiple chronic diseases, it wasn't really until going to Palantir and seeing how uh, many of these large organizations operated um, that I realized uh, why, in the past 10 years or so, we've had this explosion of new ways of receiving medical services, things like telehealth and telemedicine and chronic disease management programs when it comes to things like diabetes and and MSK. Um, But... The, the way that many of these programs uh, and many of these services are distributed, especially these kind of digital or tech-enabled ones, is through employer benefits or through kind of directly these companies directly contracting with other companies to offer that as a benefit on top of their health insurance. Um, we realized that in order to really kind of increase access to these kinds of services um, to to really kind of democratize. Um, who can access these services. So it's not just your employees that are working at like Netflix or Google or Palantir, who's paying six to seven figures to to these companies to provide that as an additional benefit Um, uh, in order to really kind of expand that to the people that really need them, the people that are working for your restaurant groups or your manufacturing companies or retail chains or things like that. Uh, We had to rebuild kind of this this health plan infrastructure, this health plan stack from the ground up um, on this modern infrastructure, so that we could integrate these kinds of services and deliver them to the people that truly um, need them. Because uh, it's not it's it's not your it's it's not your uh, most of your engineers or lawyers or 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 um, uh, financial uh, people at these. Large financial institutions that need uh, diabetes prevention programs. It's your uh, people that are generally working in kind of lower income um, uh, professions in in areas too. So places that are essentially kind of healthcare deserts that that really need access to um, services like telehealth and telemedicine that don't have access to it today.
0: So let's say I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, tie to that moment that uh, you were incubating the thought here, maybe 2018, 2018 and 19. And uh, let's say you were able to give a, let's say a piece of advice to that younger self before launching a business, before launching Angle Health. What would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, I would say that piece of advice would be to, especially when it comes to building a company and hiring a team is to, uh, really focus on hiring slowly and and building kind of a thesis around uh the role and the people and 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 the culture that you want to cultivate um at the company uh because um ultimately those are the people that are that are going to make your company uh successful or not successful um and and uh i mean those those people are your company so uh and i i i know that uh especially as a first time founder um we we definitely uh did not always stick to that uh and most of the time making panic hires are are actually cost you more in the long run than uh, than than what it may feel like in the moment
0: I hear you. I hear you. Now, Ty, for the people that are listening that would want to uh, reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, feel free to reach out at ty, that's ty at anglehealth.com.
0: Amazing. Well, easy enough. Well, hey, Ty, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us today.
1: Thanks so much, Alejandro. It's great being here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button.
0: If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic.